Ron DeSantis launches his campaign, kind of, and Target and the L.A. Dodgers in the Culture War Crucible. We'll discuss all this more on this edition of The Editors. I'm Rich Lowry, and I'm joined, as always, or really for the first time ever, by Jeff Esoteric C.D. Blair, Madeline Maddie Kearns, and the notorious M.B.D. Michael Brendan Doherty, you are, of course, listening to a Nashville podcast. Our sponsors of this episode are Made in Cookware and I on FTC for our friends at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. More about them in due course. If for some reason you're not already following us on a streaming service, by the way, you can find us everywhere from Spotify to iTunes. And if you like what you hear here, please consider giving us a glowing five-star review on iTunes. If you don't like what you hear here, please forget I said Anything. So, MBD, you were privy to my state of despair after the DeSantis launch on Twitter spaces. It was glitchy. Took about 20 minutes to get it going. They lost uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, uh, potential listeners and ended up with about 150,000 for his campaign launch. And even if you put the glitches aside, it's just confounding to me that you had the opportunity one day in the campaign where you're really um, totally in control of the message. You give a speech that every news network in the country, love you, hate hate you, is going to take some clip from, show video from. You get pictures holding the hand of your beautiful wife with your adorable three children in front of an adoring crowd in some picturesque and symbolic setting, downtown Miami or wherever. And you don't do that. You say, no, we're not going to do that. that. That's too old fashioned. That's too traditional. We're going to do a Twitter spaces that hasn't been tested. And again, even if there are glitches, we're going to, instead of spending time with Casey on our uh, announcement day, we're going to spend time with David Sachs, who I like. I mean, he's a brilliant guy and uh, have zero video produced and talk a lot about how great Elon Musk is. Th- this is a campaign announcement that was d- devoted um, not entirely to the candidate, but in large part to praising the guy who just like did uh, um, rendered a, a pretty severe blow to you by having a platform that didn't work when you really needed it to work. So not it's not necessarily the biggest thing in the world, right? Will we necessarily remember two weeks from now? I don't think so. But the decision-making here, uh, the, the, the lack of judgment, I think is disturbing. And it was an opportunity cost for a candidate who's running from behind and almost needs everything to go right. You know, I, it's a little harsh, I think, of, of an assessment. I think it was a missed opportunity, right, for exactly the reason you said, which is as soon as this was over, you know, you, you're you looking at this and you're saying to yourself, yeah, what's wrong with the, like, high-energy speech in, uh, you know, a football stadium in Jacksonville or something like that? Like, mm-hmm. what, what, would, what, what would have been so bad about that? Um, like, I think... The event itself, I mean, it's gotten millions of listeners in, uh, in in the aftermath after it was after it was recorded live, and I think an event like that with Elon Musk and David Sachs, and even one where you're spending time praising Elon Musk, I actually think that's a perfectly fine event to do. It's just, um, and I think it came off well. I think he, especially when it got into the Q and A section. Um, I actually think it's interesting to hit him with different questions and hear how he thinks on his feet and hear, uh, how detailed his answers were and intelligent they were and how fluid he was talking about different issues. That's all good for him. 
but it should have been like the day two event, right? Like it mm-hmm. should have been um, exactly. It, it just should have. You been, could have done both. You could have done it immediately afterwards. Yeah, you could, and it could have been hyped up as well, you know. And again, you know, I don't think it's going to cost him the way that, like, you know, some people said, "Oh, this is his Dukakis in the tank moment," or "This is the mm-hmm. Rick, Rick Perry moment where he can't name the three um, departments he wants to close down." It's not those moments precisely because there's no video. Uh, yeah, like, like, it was like, such a bad idea in the beginning. It can't it can't hurt him much in the end, right? Like, <laughs> like in, in a weird way, yeah. Like there are fewer people watching, and yeah, he's not. Um, you know, as as No Rothman said, there's no like picture of him being like bug eyed and like whispering or right. nervous about it not working. Um, so anyway, I, I, like I said, it wasn't the it wasn't a great idea after all, but. Um, they also seem to have a, a blitz planned for this week where, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to give speeches in Iowa and New Hampshire. They're going to, they have raised a lot of money, uh, in a few days and, um, you know, his other media hits have gone well. So, I mean, the big thing for him was just to get in the race and start firing back at Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's done that. So how's he fired back? I mean, he, he's been asked questions about uh you know trump's attacks on him and you know he'll say you know um i like trump but in the last year he shut down the country and it was that wasn't Mm -hmm. good he said um in another interview i saw him saying um that it's sad and strange but donald trump is attacking me from the left on Mm -hmm. um on some of these issues and you know i supported donald trump but uh, I don't think we should agree with um, take the side of a company that is trying to sexualize children, right? Like, so he's he's tying Trump to Disney and to other culture war enemies, and um, you know at least showing that he's not afraid to to criticize Trump. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean his um, his very pugnacious and very online press person Christina Pushaw is now out there just throwing haymakers at the Trump campaign every day. Mm-hmm. Okay, I haven't noticed that. Yeah, that's great. So, I mean, I, I just noticed in the first first day, there's still this this weird tendency. Everyone will criticize with Trump with, without ever saying his name. You know, like there's this uh, sacred element that you can't uh, cross by, by actually saying the name of the guy you're criticizing. So, Jeff, Matt Continetti had a brilliant column um, today about the difference between Trump and DeSantis, putting Trump in this very traditional American populist bucket. We, we've seen figures like this before, you know, going back to, to Andrew Jackson and saying DeSantis is, is something different. He obviously wants to appeal to a lot of the same voters, but is more of an institutionalist in, in that he cares very much about institutions and the directions uh, that they've been taking and how they're getting pushed around by the left and a technocrat in the sense that that he uh, um, it, it really delves into the details about how you're going to change the direction of these institutions and how you can push back. So that led me to believe that maybe, you know, one of my criticisms of the DeSantis launch is, you know, Reagan goes in front of the Statue of Liberty, picturesque setting that's symbolically important to him. Barack Obama goes to, to Springfield, Illinois, picturesque 
setting symbolic importance to associate himself with Abraham Lincoln. And it may be that actually going to Twitter spaces was uh, the same kind of thing for DeSantis because he's he's so into the idea that uh, there's this um, broad conspiracy to which is true to set set narratives uh, in social media and government and traditional media that is really important to to push back and Elon Musk and Twitter represent um, an important front in that pushback. So Twitter Spaces is kind of uh, to him what the Statue of Liberty was to Reagan. You know, you know, Rich, that's a wonderfully and well intellectualized theory. But graduate level seminar theories do not win campaigns. Okay, there was no visual image. End of the day, that's a problem. There was no focus. There, that's a problem. I know that DeSantis probably thinks, I suspect at least, that DeSantis thinks that there is like a, that he doesn't do really well in speech contexts. Maybe he's self-conscious about his voice. He doesn't think he's got that emotive capacity. I think he does well up there myself, I mean, when he focuses. Uh, so he wanted a Q&A session. But the problem with this thing is that there was he, he didn't get his vision out. He spent so much time talking mm-hmm. about things like cryptocurrency and ESG and things that are of interest to David Sachs and of Elon Musk and maybe you know a, a very, very small esoteric niche community of online people. But it didn't have any general vision or any general appeal. And I'm actually, you mm-hmm. know, I've been thinking about this uh, for a while now. And I think one issue that, that he has to wrestle with is that uh, you're going to win a primary in part by having a vision for the general. You have to have a vision that ignites people and says, okay, well, you're better than what we've seen before, especially if you're kind of, kind of coming at the king, which we all agree he is because he's trying to overtake Trump. Uh, this was a missed opportunity. And we all understand that, that it's not fatal, it's not a disaster. But again, the fact that we were just saying a second ago, at least there isn't video, tells yeah, you all right, you need exactly. to know. I mean, <laughs> that it's not good when you're saying, thank God they don't have a cri- like a, an absolutely <laughs> devastating video, image. Trail, yeah. <laughs> right? That, it, we, we are definitely in the crouch defensive mode there. So my theory, I think, I don't know, it's just a theory, is that this might have been like some sort of donor play that, the, that they talked themselves into, you know, thinking that it could also work because it was new or it was buzzy. It transparently didn't, but maybe they're going to get the money from, like, you know, for the super PAC from well, it. I well, don't Jeff, know. I, I think, and, and by the way, I should mention for people who are not read in on, on Jeff, he's part of the National Review and has been for a long time, Podcast Empire, co-hosting the Political Beats podcast and has been yeah. writing for nationalreview.com about uh, politics the last couple of months and doing it very well. And just one one last point, Jeff, uh, on what you're saying uh, about, you know, maybe he's not good at a set set speech, so they put him in this I- informal setting. Mm-hmm. I think he's better at a, a set speech than he, than he is at chit-chat. And this is a yeah, point he made not, in your he's reaction. Not, he's, he, he doesn't make light conversation that well, you know? He's, yeah. He's, so, and, and, he, and he, you know, you, you would have hoped when these glitches were happening, you'd come up with a, a few uh, arch or, or sardonic or self-deprecating comments to take a little of the edge off. And that's just The not, way a baseball broadcaster will fill time during a rain delay, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, right? You know, everybody has to have a little bit of patter, you know, to like, you know, to like ease the way. Yeah. So, Maddie, what's your take? Yeah, so I actually dissent from the group. I I don't think um, it was as disastrous as as you guys seem to think. I I think, you know, obviously one of the biggest challenges DeSantis faces is how can he distinguish himself from Trump? How can he be different enough? And I think this was obviously a risky strategy and it obviously uh, didn't didn't go well for him in, in terms of the technical glitches. But I think he did succeed in in making himself distinct. I mean, I think 
you, you mentioned the Matt Continenti piece, which was a great piece, but I think we now have a clear idea of the differences between DeSantis and Trump. Um, now, whether or not that difference is actually enough to to win is uh, you know is a different question. I mean, I think you're right. I think it is too esoteric. You know, talking about accredit- accreditation cartels and the ESG movement and things that most Americans aren't really thinking about. But I do think that you know he he managed to. Um, Give, give himself a, a brand that's something uh, different. It's something, obviously, tr- trying to reach young people by by going on Twitter. Some of it was a bit weird. You know, there was that weird video um, of the conversation with, with him and Elon Musk, and there was, there was like, no music, and it was a bit strange. <laughs> but, you know, so some people, I don't know, I guess some people must like that kind of thing. But I, if I try what, and think... What, 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 what would have been the ideal background <laughs> music to that conversation, Jeff? <laughs> Oh, elevator! Yeah, oh, it would it would have absolutely been Herb Alpert in the Tijuana Brass playing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Maddie, go ahead. No, no, you're fine. But yeah, I think like if if um, if I imagine like what were they when they were discussing? Okay, this is what we're going to do. What were they? What kind of things were they saying? And they were probably saying, okay, well, we need to um, give ourselves the impression of being really completely new. We're not. Mm-hmm. We're not just you know um, Trump light. And I think they succeeded in that. It is, it is new. Nobody's done that before. Um, we need a, a bigger audience. Or, or we'll um, do it again. <laughs> or we'll do it again. I think so. um, or, uh, we need a bigger audience. Okay, so like if he'd gone to the football stadium that you guys were talking about, he could have filled it with like 60,000 people, had some nice uh, pictures. It's very conventional, though. It's very safe. Mm-hmm. And the criticism of DeSantis thus far has been that he's too boring. And this is this mm-hmm. is pushing back against that. So I get it. I mean, he also, you know, I I laughed a bit when he he gave the the slogan that our great American comeback, which is just basically a rewording of MAGA. Yeah, in fact, right. Trump says. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was almost. It's almost like an inside joke. You know? I know, right? Um, <laughs> Trump, Trump says it's actually lifted from his 2020 State of the Union address. I don't, I mean, he's I don't not know. necessarily wrong about that. I mean, <laughs> um, so, but you know, like. The Great American Comeback is happening online. You know that's different enough. Again, I'm not saying whether or not this is actually going to work long term, but I think we do now think of DeSantis as different. He's mm-hmm. the institutional cultural warrior, which is distinct from the MAGA populist. Mm-hmm. So MBD, an- another uh, thing that makes DeSantis different in how he's thinking about this campaign, the theory of the case, is he's basically going to do all conservative media, as far as we can tell. You know, usually traditional launch you you do your you know, your big event then you then you do a fox hit then you're on meet the press or someplace like that and and he's just seems like he's just totally not going to do it now i i wonder about this uh, on a couple levels um one the the mainstream media it's less important than it, than it used to be which is which is a good thing but it's still important and as jonathan martin pointed out in a, a really good column for politico Today, everyone, even though we, we hate medium narratives and we don't want to buy into them, almost everyone buys into them, right? And right. ordinary voters buy into them. You know, everyone is convinced that, uh, not everyone, but, uh, you know, this has been a bad period for DeSantis. And part of it is, you know, some bad things have happened, especially the, the slide in the, the national polls. But that's been, that that's created by the hive. And you, you white, the media hive, you, you might wish it weren't true. But it is. And if you're just totally ignoring reporters, they're all going to hate you and you get nothing but negative coverage. You know, DeSantis would have gotten a lot of negative coverage anyway, but it, it just now now it's totally baked in the cake. And then Ross Douthat a week or two ago made the point um, <laughs> that uh, after the Trump town hall, the advantage 
if you're on the right, to going with the mainstream outlets and jousting with mainstream reporters is, yeah, the average MSNBC hit or Meet the Press hit, no one's going. No one on the right is going to watch. But if you um, perform really well and it gets combative and you hold your ground and you push back, it's going to spread and it's going to create the impression that yeah, this is someone who's strong. This is someone who can think on his his or her feet. This is someone who's not afraid to go into the lion's den. Latest example exactly. of this was Vivek Ramaswamy. He was on Meet the Press two or three weeks ago. Got in into it about trans issues with Chuck Todd. And it was great, and everyone talked about it, everyone saw it, and uh, MBD DeSantis is denying himself the opportunity to ever have the, those sort of interactions, which, which he did all the time, by, by the way, in, in Florida at press conferences. Yeah, and he had the ability to handle them. Now, in those Florida press conferences, you know, he's doing the staging, right? So he's on the stage, like literally on the dais standing taller than the media, like, and he's able to, like, raise his hand and mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of, you know, gesture to them, shut up, I'm speaking now. Uh, he'd lose a little bit of that control if he's sitting down for an event that is being staged by CNN. But you're right, he should go on to it. And um, it would actually even benefit him more than some of the conservative media that's out there. I mean, like, yeah, going on Fox is fine, like, and... But I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but the conservative movement sometimes is its own echo chamber and its own narrow place. You know, having Trey Gowdy ask you about Ukraine, which again is an issue Republican voters don't care about as much as I do, or as much as Noah does, or other people in the conservative movement. It's just not, like he, it's going to contain him as a conservative and. Um, there's, you know, he hasn't gone on like our friend Megan Kelly's show. Mm-hmm. She would give him a real challenge too. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, she would be a combative interviewer. Uh, how about instead of going, how about instead of going on Trey Gowdy to have him ask you about Ukraine, you go on Mehdi Hassan to have him berate you about transgender issues and you stand up to that and you immediately become a viral hero on the right. That mm-hmm. would make a lot of sense. I don't know why they don't do it. <laughs> so, yeah. Maddie, all, all this said, going back to you as the, the real pro-DeSantis person, although MBD <laughs> uh, defends the announcement as well. But you just look at his answers in the Twitter spaces thing. Boy, I mean, he knows what he's talking about. He, he's sincere. He's fluid. He's cogent. He knows details. So there, there's no doubt about the substance of this guy. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, he's... He- very highly educated, knows his stuff, been around a long time. And I think the the thing that really came to light was just how beneficial his handling of COVID has been. Um, and that's that's something he can really push back hard against Trump on. Obviously, Trump was uh, Trump enabled Fauci. Um, you know, Trump was was slow and and chaotic as as he is on a lot of things. And DeSantis has a great record on that. Um, so I, th- I think, and he, he does as much as you know. We complain about this rhetoric that's too online it was online for an online platform and he doesn't talk like that in press conferences Mm -hmm. you know he's actually Mm -hmm. very good at puncturing left-wing euphemisms i mean he was asked that question about gender affirming care and he was like hold on a second you're talking about mutilation like Mm -hmm. that is actually the clearest um 
like rebuttal to that I've actually ever seen a politician do. Remember when um, he got up at the press conference and just held up the books that were being quote mm-hmm. unquote banned? And he's yeah, like, you want to see what we're taking out of libraries? This is what it is. And it was horrifying. And he's yeah. just like, this is why we're doing it. And it was the most effective thing I've seen on that messaging I've been Yeah, quite so some he, time. he can he can do the populist messaging. Obviously this was uh something else, something different, but I think he was showing a different side of himself. It was high risk. Um, it may not pay off. I don't know. I'm not very good at reading the tea leaves, <laughs> as you know, but, um, That's okay. but yeah. No, get, I don't... Get away. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys have more confidence, though. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> can, can, I say, can, uh, I, can I say one thing? Yeah. I like uh, Another mm-hmm. thing I liked about it, I did like, what I liked about that event was the kind of way that it, it went off on weird tangents and the way that... Um, you know, suddenly, you know, David Sachs is bringing in uh, Congressman Thomas Massey, who is like <laughs> the most libertarian out there congressman on the Republican side. He was talking about how he lives off the grid and he's grateful for Starlink, so he doesn't have to. Yeah, look but up to like, the grid. but actually, that that whole thing actually made the 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 event more fascinating. Yeah, it's not as much about about uh, Ron DeSantis then, but it is like it. It, it gives the aura of like, hey, Ron DeSantis is a chill guy that you can just hang out with and, and shoot the breeze. Uh, which actually, I, don't inter- know. I don't know about that, MBD. Uh, I mean, it, it's impressive in his, in his way. And, and I'm not saying he shouldn't have done a Twitter spaces. He, he absolutely should have done a Twitter spaces. He just shouldn't have done it as as first. No, 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 no. Just not, not first. Just not first. I, I agree with that. But no, I think... Uh, I, and I, th- I think Rich's point about like, well, I mean, why are we... It kind of makes you wonder about the decision-making process that went into this. I mean, and that's why I'm, I'm positing the idea, well, maybe it's a donor play. You know, that would maybe get them off the hook. But either way, it didn't seem like a smart first move. The second move, great. First yeah, move. So. But, what was but anyone whole, thinking? But the, I don't but know. the whole thing of... Uh, one of Donald Trump's superpowers is his ability to just roll with the format change be casual be funny talk mm-hmm. about talk about literally anything whether it's politics geopolitics Rosie O'Donnell whatever uh, and I actually think it would serve Ron DeSantis to go out and do more media where you just get stretched to talk about different mm-hmm. things you know like one of the yeah, reasons someone- one of the reasons Elon Musk kind of got even more popular was that suddenly he's on Joe Rogan smoking a little dope and yeah. then talking about Jesus. Like yeah. that, it, I don't know. It just made him like, yeah, way more t- comp- Tucker Carlson asking him, do we have souls? You know? Yeah. Um, someone posted a clip on this very point of Donald Trump. I'm not sure when it was from, but he was doing a rally and in some arena and the lights go out and he's like, Oh, you know, he jokes around. We didn't play our bills. Someone didn't pay their electric bills. Now we'll get a discount on the event. You know what? Actually the lights were too bright. The lights were too bright. Keep the lights off. <laughs> and, and then uh, they turn them back on. He's like, no, no, I'm serious. Keep them off. And he gets the crowd chanting, turn them off. And they turn the lights back off. That's just genius. It's just genius. And no, no I mean, he, he, he runs the audience the way a rock star like runs yeah. a concert. Like, can you dim the lights? We're going to do the end now. But yeah, Exactly. All right. So, exit question to you, MBD. Come early next year when we're we're about to to caucus. We will. Uh, those of us who don't want Trump to be the nominee will be hoping other candidates drop out to further boost Ron DeSantis, or hoping Ron DeSantis drops out to further boost some other non-Trump candidate. Oh, it's it's. This is a tough one. Um, I think. I still think DeSantis is the strongest candidate, so most likely to be in that position where 
or asking others to get out of the way ahead of South Carolina or whatever. Um, but you know, there were, there were mo there like, as you were having during the, the first few minutes of the Twitter spaces, uh, rich, there were moments this week where I was like, uh Oh, this is, this is, uh, inauspicious. <laughs> Jeff. I ran the numbers on this one. Actually, rich, I give you a 74.3% likelihood that there will be a 50-50 chance. No, uh, more accurately, I think it's, yeah, I, I agree with Michael. I think it, it, DeSantis is just, he's it, clearly the strongest alternate horse, and if he stumbles, well, then then that's the ball game. It, it's not like I don't think anybody could else to could potentially rise to surpass him. It's, it's, you know, it's DeSantis or bust unless you want Trump. Matty. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that lots of people ran very <clears throat> um, conventional, safe, you know, the the way they launched their campaign, and, and I, I'm fully expecting them to all flame out. Um, I so didn't I know you're so unconventional, Maddie. This is great. <laughs> you're so strongly against conventional campaign tactics. Well, you, you know, yeah, I actually, I got some feedback on this podcast that I'm, that I'm, um, too conformist in in the uh, in the exit questions, so I'm I'm really for, there's a listener who's listening uh, right now. Someone's in your head. There's a revolutionary spirit. Within you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been awakened. <laughs> uh, so I I uh, that said I I agree with everyone. Um, DeSantis still the the best, um, str- uh, clearly the strongest alternative. I, I have more doubts about that than than I I did. Not necessarily because the glitches or the Twitter space, they, they will be forgetting, forgotten pretty quickly. I, w- I want to see him evolve. I yeah, see the, him evolve. The, the opportunity cost and the, the decision-making, if you can mess up your campaign announcement, you can pretty much mess up anything. But, you know, he got, he raised $8 million. A lot of that was obviously in the can uh, already, uh, but they, they're building a, a massive Iowa operation. Uh, and you, you th- think he's going to, um, find his footing and and still have a shot at this thing but uh it it hasn't been a great uh two months or so with that let's pause and go to our first sponsor this episode made in cookware we have made in frying pans here in the lowry kitchen and let me tell you they are awesome Maiden was created by a 100-year-old family business specializing in high-end restaurant supply. It worked with celebrated chefs and expert artisans to craft elegant, professional-quality cookware for restaurant and home kitchens alike. Your best meals are ahead of you with artisan-made, restaurant-quality cookware. Maiden's award-winning non-stick cookware has a double layer of professional-grade non-stick. That's very important, non-stick coating. Its stainless clad is nearly indestructible and has unparalleled heat retention, making for even heat distribution. We found all this to be true. Our made-in pans are great to handle, cook evenly, and very importantly, they are indeed easy to clean. I say this as the guy who spends an hour at the sink cleaning dishes almost every night. So made-in cookware gets our highest recommendation and especially my wife's recommendation. And right now, Editors listeners can get 10% off full-priced items on orders of $100 or more from Made In. For full details, visit madeincookware.com slash editors. That's madeincookware.com slash editors. So, Maddie, we got some culture war action. We have Target partnering with a, um, 
uh, a Satanist associated uh, <laughs> apparel maker, and there there was a a bit of a As backlash. They often do. Yeah, there was a bit of a backlash to this, uh, reminiscent of Bud Light. And I have to say that the Bud Light thing, that's, we had an exit question about, about that. And I was like, ah, you know, this will probably pass over. Like MBD is like, I'm not sure there's going to be a Bud Light in a year. And, and that, that ended up being uh, more, more uh, uh, right than, than I would have thought, at least uh, I, I think 30% down. And then you've had Miller Light and the alternatives going 30% up, just extraordinary. They're talking about redoing the cans <laughs> and Target, you know, we haven't seen that kind of decline in sales, but clearly they were afraid of it. You had saw its stock price decline. What do you make of it? Yeah, so I th- we've obviously um, grown quite accustomed to just LGBT corporate culture and, and seeing rainbows and uh, unexpected places like you go into your bank and there's a big flag there or something. But I think for, for the most part, um, most people can live with that. It's annoying. It's virtue signaling. They roll their eyes. They go on with their day. Um, but it, it's just been turned up a notch. And I think we've reached this peak moment with uh, with this type of stuff where you can't just push people too far. You can't get into the realm of like promoting Satanism or it, or the, in the case of Target, there was like a swimsuit that was um, uh, designed for children to be able to like male children to be able to tuck their genitals. If they're identifying as female, they can they can hide their their right, so I, mean, it's just, I, I didn't want to know what it, what it was. Yes. I, I saw a reference to something. Usually these days when there's a reference to something I don't understand, like, I don't want to know. So now, so, now so, I know. Thanks, Matt. Now you know I don't. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. But, like, you know, this is just, this is beyond the pale. This is, this is more than just a smiling picture of two men holding hands with a rainbow behind them. This is, this is something else. And I think, I think it's, it, I mean, I don't understand how you can get so complacent with the nice uh, sanitized um, version versus this. I mean, I, it, you just have to have a shred of common sense to realize that people are not going to respond well to encouraging children to tuck their genitals. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's encouraging to see that enough people are willing to make these companies suffer for for this kind of madness. So, MBD, what do you make of this uh, newfound conservative market power? Because you know, we've had conservative boycotts. I don't know. I'm old enough to remember people wanted to boycott CBS News, and it it never happens. You know, or or it happens a very among a very small group of people. But it seems as though the ability to spread this stuff virally on social media makes a difference. And the Bud Light thing also, just to go, to go back to that, all this kind of old news now, the, it, it, there's an element there, it was beyond a boycott. It had become, the brand became a national joke. Um, so, so I'm not sure whether that's going to happen to Target, but again, they're, they're clearly worried about it. Yeah, I mean, listen, there've been, there've been attempts by conservatives to boycott Target in the past that didn't really get very far, right? Like I know some people, you know, cut down at least for a little while uh, what they were shopping for at Target because of a bathroom policy they instituted, you know, five or six years ago. I think I, I actually think you're right that the Bud Light event changed things in that it had such a dramatic effect. And, um, you know, I, I think that was partly because people uh, drink Bud Light socially and, um, you know, the can itself elicits the conversation you don't want to have. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you just don't, 
want to pick it up. You don't, you know, you. That's key, by the way. Yes. Uh, so I think that's why it's been effective. But now it's gotten conservatives like over at the Daily Wire and and elsewhere talking about what else can we do? Can we do something with Target and um, you know, Target <laughs> Target's audiences is a lot of families in the suburbs, right? And increasingly we are seeing like a lifestyle divergence where it's families in the suburbs are conservative if they're having lots of kids. And if you're single and in the city, you're on the liberal progressive side. So it's harder for these companies to do this. And one more thing is I think, um, the com- companies are being pushed to go further than I think they would otherwise by groups like the Human Rights Campaign. So I, I actually think that's really what's mm-hmm. what's happening is that, like, yeah, Bud, you know, Anheuser Busch has had pride messages in the past, but by having Dylan Mulvey in uh, at a time when the trans debate is about like giving off-label puberty blockers to kids or these horrendous surgeries, you know, that meant something else and it inspired the backlash. And the same thing with these, like, ridiculous clothing items at Target. Um, But that's being pushed by the Human Rights Campaign. Apparently, Mm -hmm. Human Rights Campaign is going to all these major companies and giving them customized lists of things that the Human Rights Campaign would like to see them do to raise visibility for these issues in the following year. And then if they don't do it, human rights campaign will then decrease them on this fake equity score. But that equity score is considered by institutional investors who are now trying to do DEI based investing. So now all of a sudden you basically have like a corporate board you know, saying, okay, sure, yeah, let's put the Tucket material up in the front uh, mm-hmm. feature section of Target. And, and you yeah. have a new self-reinforcing micro-industry as well. I mean, you've created a new one the same way that the fact-checking industry has sprung into being to mm-hmm. provide legitimacy to outlets. Now we have the um, the uh, LGBT wokeness industry that will give you your, your validation yeah, and, or and, cast yeah. you into outer darkness. Yeah, and Jeff, also, if... This is uh, corrupting mainstream institutions or using mainstream institutions for progressive ends because you get this tuck apparel or whatever it is in Target. You know, Target's not uh, some some weird, uh, um, you know, g- gay uh, apparel uh, shop in San Francisco somewhere, right? It's, it's at the very center of American life. I mean, it's it, it's it's rather crazy because you know the breaking point for these things. We were talking about it with like Bud Light, is, is when you're asked to imbibe it. There's a difference between the bathroom uh, boycotts, you know, the uh, the the stuff that Michael was referring to earlier, where they try to boycott because of the bathroom policy. That's internal policy. External social signaling, which relates to faces on cans, posters in stores, brands, things like that. That stuff is toxic. People don't want to have to have it shoved down their throats every single you know time they walk outside and people begin to object when they 
figure that it's affecting their children. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, and, and, and one other thing, I, there's a great analogy here. I don't know if you're familiar with Eric Adams currently screaming to uh, the New York state law and New York courts about the right to shelter laws in New York mm-hmm. City because of the immigrants. He's like, we have these laws in place. We have to provide shelter, but the immigrants are being bussed to us, and I'm laughing so hard at it. But um, the, it's, it's, the reason the right to shelter laws were terrible is that every time the city would add like another new like privilege, it became locked in place. The same thing is with mm-hmm. these sorts of concessions you grant right. to the LGBTs. If you give in to what the HRC is asking today, you can't step back later right. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a ratchet. It's a one-way ratchet, and it only goes up. Yeah, no, exactly. So, we've we've seen this with the NAACP critique of of Florida. Now, if you don't have CRT and gender ideology in the schools, you're hostile to African Americans. When no one, no one, and, and to uh, gay people, when no one would have thought of doing this like five years ago, right? But but now it's, it's, it's not even that the demands escalate. It's that you can't step back if you realized you did something that was it turns mm-hmm. out to be a bad idea. Because if you do, well, I mean, now you've just admitted that you're a, you're you're a bigot and you you don't like transgender people. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think the the, the emerging move uh, if. Brands want to avoid these sorts of pitfalls is to just, you've got to stop playing the game. So, if you stop playing the game, we won't object. So, Maddie, you, you'd think that the Bud Light thing would be a big warning to stop playing the game. But here you have Target. And then you also have the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, in terms of consumer backlash, they're in a totally different position, right? Because Bud Light, there are any number of other cheap, terrible beers out there. Uh, so it's, it's very easy to find an alternative. But if you're a Dodgers fan, you know, watching the Angels is not, it's not the, uh, it's oh, not the same Lord, thing. Though. But they, um, they, they, Maddie, they, they're going to have a pride night, you know, because everyone has to have a pride night. And they're going to honor the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, the sacrilegious gay activist group. There was a, a backlash. Uh, they, they revoked the invitation. And then there was a, a counter backlash. <laughs> And, and, and the, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence are back in uh, to, to the Dodgers' Pride Night, and they just issued a, a parodic statement that should be of apology for uh, their, their mistake here and uh, excluding, uh, trying to exclude them at, at one point that should put, be put in a, a time capsule to stand for the insanity of our age. Yeah, so again, it, it's a question of like, Excess. I mean, it's one thing to have sort of flamboyant LGBT um, participants, and it's another thing to have something that's explicitly anti-Catholic. Now, I don't know the the numbers on this or what percentage of of Catholics actually would care about this, but it is explicitly anti-Catholic. Like it's it's making fun of um, core Catholic teachings. It's it's uh, ridiculing people who've given their lives to the church, um, often to to serve. The, the poorest in our communities. Um, and so I would I would think that this is just a bad business decision. So again, I'm just confused as to how you become so um, invested in woke ideology or so immune to like the controversy that it causes that you would actually greenlight something like this. One inch at a time is how it happens. It's exactly what yeah. it is. It, 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 every step forward, oh, this is camp, this is parody, this is something. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're... you're Engaging in blasphemous, nearly satanic rituals on the, I mean, I think, on, I think on the, the field of Dodger I know, Stadium. I, I think. I think the other the other thing is that sports is supposed to be something that brings everybody together. You know, it doesn't matter your political difference, your religious difference. This is a thing everybody can get behind. They can support their teams, and this is just yeah. introduces something it, it, so divisive. divisive. Yes, yeah, so divisive. I know it's it that it's. 
I know I have a lot of friends who I have a friend who just can't talk about it because he's so angry about it. He feels like it's personally like an attack on him, and I don't I don't understand it myself. So MBD asks a question to you: Which of these forces will win out in the long term in terms of the posture and direction of companies on the, these issues? The human rights campaign and all its allies, or common sense? Um. Jeez, uh, I think the DEI investing is not is actually going to hit the shores of reality, um, and that'll take some pressure off companies uh, who don't want to listen to uh, HRC's ever ratcheting demands. So I, I have a feeling that there will be a new modus vivendi, but that HRC will have pushed it significantly to the left in the meantime. Jeff. The pendulum swings, but the pendulum swings far more glacially than people seem to realize. Perhaps oceanically is the way to think about it. It's an immense body of water, but it's slow to move. So I think it's the HRC wins in the short run. There's too much money invested in this. There are too many peoples with too many careers and too much to lose to give up on what they believe now. They will fight for every inch of territory they own, and they will seek to claim as much as they can while they have power. However, in the long run... Common sense has to win. In the short run, though, well, I think it'll get crazier. Maddie? Yeah, I think they'll win some and lose some. Uh, I think we've already seen that with, with Bud Light. They definitely lost that. Um, but there's they still have capture of numerous, countless um, corporations. Yeah. They'll, so press their, I, they'll press their advantage where they have it. So the academy is going to get even more bonkers than it is. Just watch. Yeah, I think they can, they can you know, move the ball to the, from the 50 to the 40 or 30 yard line. I mean, that we have a pride month, right? And that every institutional, major institutional entity in American life ha- has to be part of pride, pride month. They, they've moved the ball significantly, but they can't get it down to the, the, the 20 or whatever without without a, a backlash, depending on the, on the institution that they're, uh, they're pressuring. So with that, let's hear from our second sponsor. This episode, I on FTC, as Americans deal with rising prices, record inflation, and fears of a looming recession, President Biden's Federal Trade Commission, under the direction of Chair Lena Khan, is pursuing anti-consumer, anti-competitive measures against American industries, killing innovation and threatening America's dynamic 21st century economy. And the worst part, American taxpayers are footing the bill for bureaucrats at the FTC to threaten to break up businesses and stop mergers and acquisitions. That's why the Competitive Enterprise Institute launched their Eye on FTC campaign, exposing abuses of power at the FTC, calling on Congress to reassert oversight over this rogue agency in protecting consumers from government overreach. CEI is defending free markets and American capitalism, which are the greatest forces for peace and prosperity the world has ever known. To learn more, visit ionftc.com. That's E-Y-E on FTC.com. And consider helping CEI stop abuses of power at the FTC. So speaking of abuses of power, Maddie, go to you first again. There is this uh, so-called city bike Karen episode a week or so ago. We should have talked about it last week. We didn't get to it, but but just want to hit it because this is a, another really disturbing trend in our culture. A staff member at Bellevue Hospital in New York after a shift, uh, she's pregnant, uh, leaves and rents a city bike and wants to, to pedal her, her way home, minding her own business. Uh, a black kid with some friends says, no, no, that's my bike. 
There's a immediate video taken of this interaction. She's upset because it's her bike. Uh, she yells for help. Uh, she cries. These these are uh, normal human reactions. They're actually human reactions that speak to a sense of vulnerability. <laughs> but they're made into this this toxic aggressive act of of uh, white Fevery. supremacy. That's yeah, that's going to endanger these kids. Yeah, the SWAT team's going to show up at any moment. Just gun these kids down if this woman doesn't stop crying and just give up <sighs> her bike. And the interaction, the social media mob were bad. But the fact that the hospital suspended her, suspended her from her job is just disgraceful. Yeah, I I try imagine this scenario if everybody involved was white and it plays out very, very differently. Uh, what I see when I look at this is I see a woman, as you say, in a vulnerable state, <clears throat> um, feeling very threatened and intimidated by a, a group of young men. Um, it is very intimidating to be approached by a group of young men. They're, they're stronger than you. If, if it comes to a toss-up over struggling over this bike, they're definitely going to win. There's also just a natural sense of injustice. I think her lawyer has now proven that it was her bike. She she rented it first, and then I think it was clicked back in, and one of the guys rented it. But, you know, like she she's there. She's just trying to get on with her day, mind her own business, after a job that involves helping people. And um, it's just incredibly unfair. But of course, what happens now is that we're supposed to assume that all white people are racist, at least subconsciously. Um, and so you can you can look at any negative interaction between two people, any negative social interaction. And if one of them's white and one of them's black, then that's the lens. It doesn't matter the evidence, doesn't matter the, the specifics. And um, that's the lens that people are going to view it through. I mean, we, we saw that also with, you know, um, the case of Daniel Penny, obviously a, a, a different case. There's there's more controversy there about whether, you know, there is a, a risk assessment and proportionality and intention. But I think one thing we, we, we just have no reason to think that it was at all anything to do with race. Um, it was it was a, a question of like, uh, is this person a danger to myself and, and people around me? And yet we have to we have to view it through this lens. And it's so divisive and and in the case of this whole Karen thing um I think it's really sexist as well it's it's the assumption that you know w women are are all manipulative and all you know trying to um trying to cause harm and 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 social alienation to others um and it's just it's disgusting so yeah yeah Jeff so so we have this toxic combination of, of social media that blows up the these interact there, there's no way we should be talking about this interaction on this podcast right it, it should have it shouldn't have happened in the first place but then it happens everyone goes on and that's it it shouldn't be a, and everyone, a national and everyone story. wrote their own story too i mean that's the thing that video that you guys are talking about it, it's a rorschach blot if you look at it as you said people had to read a narrative onto it the way you described it is the way i saw it here's a woman who's scared because she's surrounded by a bunch of old i i had to have this you know beaten into my head by my wife when i was first dating her she's like i want you to uh, when i'm visiting you i want you to like walk me home from the parking lot into the building i'm like why it's like a couple it, it, it's short he's like because uh, i'm a she, small she, woman she, in chicago she, <laughs> she had like, to talk you she had to talk you into doing that she still married me too isn't that funny <laughs> <laughs> like she let me she let me learn Matthew, would she, you would you have married jeff 
No, I don't know. <laughs> I know. Well, listen, listen. The whole the whole point is like I didn't understand it, and I think there's so many people who look at that video and don't see it the way that you would live it as a small woman pregnant coming off mm-hmm. a twelve hour shift, and you're scared out of your mind. They're they're jeering at you. They're talking about how your baby gonna come out retarded. They're videotaping you. Mm-hmm. You must be like losing it. And then, uh, frankly, she handled herself really well given those circumstances. Mm-hmm. So like I never. But the thing is, there was no racism in it. You had to read that story onto a video that didn't have in order to get this. And by the way, I think you underplayed just how horrible the internet reaction was because I think it, it is directly related to her suspension. She was getting compared to the like white woman yeah. from Jim from the South who oh, like, yeah. got Emmett Till killed. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah the, the worst the worst crime, the most notorious crime of Jim Crow right. era. And, or, or that, that who's that hack lawyer Benjamin Crump? I, I think yep. I said I wrote a piece where I said he's a lawyer. He's he's a civil rights lawyer in the same way that Al Sharpton is a reverend. Mm-hmm. All right, he, he he he's he's a horrible publicity hound, and he was just like, yo, look at this woman weaponizing white tears to victimize these young black men, inserting race, inserting a narrative, reading minds, everything that turned out to be wrong. Um, the appetite that. There's an appetite in our country for these sorts of stories, and I don't think we acknowledge it, that there's a certain kind of, I'm going to just say in general, they happen to be urban white liberals, okay, who really love to eat up stories like this. Oh, look at these horrible white women. God, we're so awful. Yes, give me mm-hmm. more. Right. There's almost there, there's <laughs> right. something vaguely, isn't there something vaguely sadomasochistic about it? Like, they just like want to be told how awful they are, because it, it confirms everything that they thought about, like their parents' best friends, like when they were growing Growing up, right? <laughs> They're working out like demons, I suppose, when they look at these stories, but there's a reason that they are click fodder. And it's just a horrible mm-hmm. cycle. This woman was put through the ringer, her reputation run into the ground, suspended from her job, and all for no reason for being the innocent victim of what, you know, at best was a misunderstanding and at worst was a vicious viral prank. So, MBD, exit question to you. The whole Karen phenomenon is a, a fad that will disappear sometime soon or is with us for the duration? Uh, it's with us for the duration because it's driven uh, by class uh, hatreds. It's um, rich, woke white women love the idea of shaming poor white women for not uh, – behaving as properly as they should even and secretly they take pride that they live in neighborhoods where they'll never have to encounter an interaction like this. Um, and like, um, Maddie said, this is misogyny and I, I would argue it's almost pornographic in its, um, uh, shape and effect. I mean, people were watching this to see a white woman be humiliated by a group of men. And, uh, that's why a lot of people watch porn too. And it's, Mm. it has a ubiquitous influence in our culture and it's really disgusting. Mm. Maddie disappearing or with us for the duration. I think it's with us for the duration. Unfortunately, there's just too many examples and they don't seem to stop. Jeff. The market demands it, Rich. The market demands (laughs) it. The market's always right. (laughs) The masses have spoken and this is what they want. Yeah, I agree. Unfortunately, it's with us for the duration. With that, let's hit a few other things before we go. MBD, you've been listening to Stop Making Sense. Yeah, it's the uh, Talking Heads famous uh, live concert uh, album, and you can get it on DVD. 
I think it's going to be re-released in theaters later this year and and on vinyl and, and everything else for like a 30, you know, what is it, 40 year, 40 years since the wow. Jonathan Demi movie came out. Um, but it's just like a great band that uh, new wave band that had gotten deeper and deeper into funk and other genres playing with an amazing uh, set of musicians accompanying them. And uh, it's just the greatest concert movie ever, ever made. So Jeff, George Washington is changing. George Washington university is changing its nickname from the colonials to the Patriots. And you're okay with that. No, the, not the, the Patriots. They're changing. You know what? Rich, Sorry, something, fa- something far better, my friend. See, I'm a DC boy at heart. That's where I was born and raised and grew up. I moved to Chicago, but you know, GW. We even then thought that the Colonials was pretty lame. It was like Colonial Williamsburg, where you go and everybody's dressed in like you know frontier outfits, and you're like, "This is lame. I want to go play Nintendo." So for once, they actually got one of these 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 renamings correct. I know they did it for woke reasons because colonialism is just right out these days. But uh, Revolutionaries is kind of cool. I mean, I know they're thinking of Che Guevara, but I'm thinking of the American Revolution. <laughs> you know, and, and I don't mind. I, I actually like the fact that we finally managed to please the perpetually outraged lefties. And by the way, Revs, that's a pretty great short nickname, too. Yeah, they're so rev me, George Mason's the Patriots. That's, George that's Mason is the Patriots. Yeah. That's probably right. Also a pretty good basketball program. And Maddie, you went to the opera. I did, yeah. I went to go see Don Giovanni, which um, is a Mozart opera, and I think it's one of the easier Mozart operas to to follow if you're not into opera, which my husband isn't. <laughs> so, um, but it was good. It was at the Met, so world class. And um, I do wish they'd start opera slightly earlier than they do because you do find yourself getting kind of sleepy towards the end. Um, <laughs> But <laughs> yeah, my, my my wife's a big opera fan, and and it's a great it's a great art form. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. But I can take an hour. I can just take, an, and, and then I then I close my eyes. And if if I fall asleep, it's fine. If I'm just sort of closing my eyes, listening, that's 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 fine too. So we were talking about Bud Light earlier. I've been doing these. Uh, We've been doing a lot of video shorts on our YouTube page and spreading them on Instagram and, and elsewhere. And I've done a number on on Bud Light, which have required having cans of Bud Light as props. So I, I actually bought last week a six pack of, of Bud Light. And it reminded me a little bit of the pandemic. I'd go into a restaurant or someplace that masks are mandatory. You got to have them. And then my hands would be full walking out. And I'd be wearing a mask outside. I'm like, oh my gosh, what if someone sees me like wearing a mask outside? And it was the same feeling. What if someone sees me with a six pack of Bud Light? How do how do editor, I editor of National Review yeah, scene how, with Dylan Wolf? Exactly. How do I explain myself? With that, it's time for our editor's picks. MBD, what's your pick? Uh, my pick is a collective of Abigail Anthony's items about Target and the Dodgers disinvite and reinvite. Uh, Abigail, she's been doing great stuff. She's she, you know, we we I think we had her last summer uh, in one of our programs, and she was great for us. And I think she's still in college at Princeton, uh, and she's just turning out great material on cultural stuff. And um, she's just always had a, a very sharp mind and sharp pen. And um, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm glad to see the uh, the female contingent in our grow a little bit. Maddie, what's your pick? Uh, well, actually, Michael stole my pick, Shreem. but um, <laughs> yes. Ah, uh, so this is why you guys don't reveal your picks in advance, I see. <laughs> so uh, I will 
pick at our editorial on the Dodgers anti Catholicism, which I thought was oh, really, really well that done. Was, that was my pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have an original original pick for Yeah, I, as a matter of fact, I do, but you all know it because I'm the fool who told you in advance. I really love Noah Rothman's uh, cover piece for the mag and, and our uh, the war on things that work, whether it's, you know, toilets, dishwashers, uh, plastic straws, or washing machines. It seems like the left wants to just make everything that functions function a little bit less well for your own good. All right, so I'm sticking with the Dodgers editorial. We don't reveal the authors, but the the author of this editorial felt it very deeply. <laughs> you, you can tell from the editorial. So that's it for us. You've been listening to a National Review podcast. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or countless game without the express written permission of National Review magazine is strictly prohibited. This podcast has been produced by the incomparable Sarah Shitty, who makes us sound better than we deserve. Thanks to Jeff. Not bad for an inaugural outing, Jeff. Not bad. Thanks Thank to you. Thanks to MBD. Thanks to Made In and I on FTC. And thanks especially to all of you for listening. We're the editors. Enjoy Memorial Day, everyone.